Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. My name's Darren Raywood, I'm Deputy Editor of Info Security Magazine. And Michael Hill here as well, I'm the editor. Delighted you you can join us for this episode of our podcast series. So Michael, why don't you kick off with the first story then? Yes, way? so some of the top news stories that have occurred over the last week or so. Uh, one affecting AWS. Now mm-hmm. AWS was left reeling after an eight-hour DDoS attack. Um, so obviously Amazon Web Services. Um, they uh, suffered severe outages um, when the DDoS attack um, took S3 and other services offline for up to eight hours. Now, um, according to, to the news and the, uh, the research around it, the, the uh, attack hit the cloud, cloud giant router's 53 DNS web service, uh, which had a knock-on effect on other services, including elastic, uh, elastic load balancing, relational database service, and elastic compute cloud um, that require public DNS resolution. Um, so AWS did, did provide status updates uh, at the time, which were then 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 removed. Interestingly enough, but at the time their their status update did did, did state that between 10:30 a.m. and 6:30 p.m. PDT on 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 the day of the attack, um, they experienced intermittent errors with resolution of uh, with resolution of some AWS DNS names. Uh, beginning at uh, quarter past five in the afternoon, a very small number of specific DNS names experienced a higher error rate. These issues had been resolved, AWS uh, apparently said. They did send out a message to customers during the time, um, clarifying that the firm's DNS servers were indeed experiencing an attack, a DDoS attack. Um, the outages called into question the effectiveness of AWS DDoS mitigation platform Shield Advance, especially as it appeared to have made things worse for some uh, uh, customers. Um, apparently, the, the firm added, our DDoS mitigations are absorbing the vast majority of this traffic, but these mitigations are also flagging some legitimate uh, customer queries at the same time. Um, an interesting one, then AWS, and I guess it brings into, again, you know, the, the issue of kind of, you know, cloud-based services and Quite quite interesting. What 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 they actually you know admitted was that their own DDoS mitigation was actually picking up legitimate queries, so causing a bit more problems for, for customers. Yeah, it does prove the fallibility, I guess, of the um, of uh, IaaS services, which we're now seeing so huge amounts of, of notice of things like AWS and also Azure. But the fact is that one of them was actually hit by a DDoS, and like I said, you know, eight hour DDoS which persisted, and you know their own. Uh, DDoS protection didn't really cope, so something that I guess they'll probably want to address uh, as they go forward because it's not an easy one to uh, to defend against. And well, speaking of defence um, and, and uh, defending against incidents, uh, this year, uh, sorry, this, excuse me, this week, uh, Info Security went to the launch of the third annual report from the NCSC. This is the UK's National Cybersecurity Centre, kind of the uh, the UK CERT, as it were. And um, in their report, which came out on Wednesday, they announced they blocked six hundred. 58 incidents in the last year. Now they um, they weren't too clear on on exactly how many of these were sort of you know major versus minor, but they did say it included nation state attacks from hostile nations. So we don't know how many of those they are. They were uh, it wasn't too clear. It's actually worth looking at the report, which you can um, link through to from Info Security Magazine. But um, just a few kind of things I point, picked out from it. Um, the, the, the sector that had the most assistance was actually government, uh, followed by academia, IT services, managed service providers, and, uh, and also then health and transport. Uh, NCSC provided support in the last 
last year to almost 900 organisations. And uh, one thing they also talked about was the Active Cyber Defence Programme. Now, this involved taking down um, 117,335 phishing websites. 62% of the ones they detect to be malicious, they take down within 24 hours. So really quite impressive. And um, also speaking at the launch was the Minister of the Cabinet Office, Oliver Dowden, who, because uh, of obviously political situation here in the UK at the moment, uh, had to sort of run off after making a brief sort of 10 minute statement. Um, but he uh, was very, very praiseworthy of the NCSC, saying the achievements shows that we are making the UK a more challenging place for our cyber adversaries to operate in. Um, NCSC's kind of been going for as long as Mike and I've been working for NC uh, for um, uh, for Info Security. Uh, it's all part of the UK's five-year plan for cybersecurity, which comes to an end in 2021. So I'll be interested to see where that goes as we kind of come towards the end of that in, in 12 months' time. But, um, yeah, you talked there about a major attack, and, uh, mm. and, and here's one, uh, an organisation saying, well, we're actually we're, we're picking them up. But yeah. that involves one nation working rather than a broad spread like AWS. Now, it shows you're doing a great job there, and obviously that's the point. You know, they want they want to make the UK the safest place to be doing business, and it's very positive, I think, in that they are, you know, seem to be effective. Interesting, the kind of... Um, sectors there that they've kind of supported the most um, looking at healthcare education um, so not not a massive surprise to see those kind of sectors there that do traditionally kind of struggle with the data uh, security side of things but um, hey good to see that they're doing yeah. such an effective job there for sure um, another interesting piece of, of research that came out this this week um, from Hacker One. now they actually um, were looking into bug bounties and they looked back at four really big breaches. I'm sure you'll all know these. So British Airways last year, obviously, Carphone Warehouse, or, or Carphone Dixons uh, last year again, Ticketmaster last year as well, and also Talk Talk back in 2015. Um, now what they did is they actually looked at the combined um, cost of, of those four um, data breaches, um, including fines, um, loss of uh, custom uh, and and things like that. Um, now they actually estimated that the, the, the combined cost was 265 million pounds um, following those breaches. But an interesting twist though, they actually looked at the uh, vulnerabilities that caused those four breaches and they looked also at the average amount that, that's paid out as bug bounties for those vulnerabilities. And they actually came to the realization that those four um, breaches with the knock-on knock uh, effect of two, 265 million um, could have been uh, prevented for as little as 9,600 collectively. Now, they did give a range of, uh, of um, amounts, 9,600 up to 32,000 based on average bug bounty prices. But an interesting take on this, obviously, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing and um, uh, I think we can all kind of look at, at attacks and breaches and say, well, if this was done, things would have been different. But it, it is quite a sobering thought to think that £265 million worth of data breach costs could have been avoided with as little as nine, um, £9,600 worth of bug bounties. I mean, we're looking at the sort of vulnerabilities that caused those breaches. It was a third-party JavaScript exploit, uh, an out-of-date WordPress interface, and SQL injection. Um, so quite quite interesting, and um, there was a comment given by uh, Prash uh, Samaya, who is a security engineer at Hacker One, 
Um, he, uh, they said attack services are growing all the time. It's a significant challenge just trying to stay ahead of cyber criminals. The most secure organisations um, realise there are many ways to identify where they are most vulnerable. By running bug bounty programmes and asking hackers to find their weak spots, our customers have safely resolved over 120,000 vulnerabilities before a breach could occur. Um, so obviously, you know, this is research in, in hindsight, but it is an interesting thought, Dan, when you actually yeah. do break down those figures. You know, we hear a lot about bug bounties now. They're becoming more and more popular. We hear the amounts of um, up for grabs with bug bounties sort of going, going up all the time. But yeah, 265 million versus 9,600 is quite a stark uh, reality, isn't it? Yeah, like you said, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I'm sure that those four companies that you mentioned, BA, Carphone Warehouse, Ticketmaster and TalkTalk, will all go, yeah, of course we should have done that. But the reality is actually, of course, they didn't and the, these things happened. But of course, there'll be companies who had the same problems who won't have had such a big uh, impact financially upon them. But yeah, it's a great piece of research by HackerOne, actually. I think it's interesting just to put it into context of how much you could actually cost um, in terms of bug bounty program prices versus the amount of uh, damages and fines, etc. So, yeah, nice piece of research from HackerOne. Um, Next story we've got, it's actually kind of three stories I'm going to try and bundle into one because it's been a bit of a, of a month for security vendors having a few issues of their own. And um, one thing I will point out is an interview I ran with the CISO of F-Secure. I did actually talk to him at, uh, back in September, I think it went up in, uh, just be, as we did around the last podcast, just sort of asking about how a company would deal with a security incident. And he was very frank in his answer, sort of saying it's something that... Yeah, he was very much of the if, uh, or maybe the when rather than the if. Um, but three three stories we actually have, have sort of seen in the last sort of couple of weeks. Um, the first one was regarding Imperva. Now they originally reported a data breach back in August, which it blamed on AWS API key, which was stolen from an internal system that was left accessible to the internet. Um, their CTO Kunal Anand um, said that this uh, basically they had a period of rapid growth in 2017. It started using more AWS again, a second mention today. Um, but that meant that the system was left accessible. Now, they published uh, a report in um, early, sort of about mid-October, uh, with a full breakdown, actually, and it's, it's worth a look at, actually, because they're saying that the, um, the, the breach was caused by an administrative API key in one of its production AWS accounts um, being... Um, being unauthor been authorised used by a, an attacker. Uh, and that led to exposure of a database snapshot containing emails and hashed and sorted passwords. Um, that was actually, um, the data set was from a snapshot as of September 15th, 2017, and the exfiltration occurred in October 18th. So um, kind of read between the lines there, could actually suggest that they had attackers in there, uh, inside their network for about 12 months. So it's quite a big deal for the uh, for Imperva. Uh, the second story of a security company having a few issues is Avast. Uh, this was actually just this week as we record. Um, they reported that hackers gained deep access to the company's network after a username and password for a temporary VPN account had been kept open and did not require a second factor of authentication. Uh, then you see so, Jaya Balu, who has done some work with here Info Security in the past in her previous job, said that the uh, Avast product called CC, uh, C Cleaner, or CC Leaner, depends how you want to pronounce it, was the likely target of a supply chain attack. So they would believe that attackers were trying to get access to that. Um, so it's quite a good little breakdown in their blog there. But basically what they did was they pushed out um, an automatic update and revoked the previous certificate, which kind of locked, blocked the um, attackers from actually being able to do anything more to it. Because what they were trying to also do was not show their hand too much. 
and make sure that you know people didn't know that they were onto them so they were going to keep track of who was actually trying to attack them uh, the third story then, this is a VPN provider called NordVPN. They reported also this week um, that they'd been breached last year in 2018 after an outsider infiltrated uh, a data centre in Finland. Um, they said that usernames and passwords could not have been intercepted. However, user activity logs uh, also could all be safe. However, um, it's possible though for the intruder to have abused website traffic and monitor some user activities. They said that the affected server was taken on offline and ceased to ex exist as of March 2018, uh, while it ended its contract with the data center provider as a result of the incident. So, in the case of NordVPN, you know we use VPNs to make sure we you know protect our data and protect our traffic. But um, if the attacker was able to actually see the traffic that you were you know, the websites you were doing the communications could have been a problem and i'm going to catch my breath michael because that's quite a lot of uh, mm. a lot of bad news all in one go but we talked about vulnerabilities there and you can yeah. see the three cases there of standard stuff you mm. know nothing hugely complicated that allowed these three things to happen yeah yeah quite concerning indeed um let's take a slightly lighter lighter note on things now dan let's swing over to slack space corner if you like um well i say a lighter tone depends how you look at it so a piece uh, that stuck out to me this week was a japanese uh, travel company had to apologize after failing to prevent hackers from being able to spy on hotel guests in bed via in-room robots now this is the um hotel henna hotel mahena in tokyo tokyo bay that is um and it's famous for um, being staffed by androids, so guests can check in with a chatty dinosaur, it said, or ultra-polite humanoid reception bot on arrival. Hotel rooms are unlocked using facial recognition, and inside each room is a bedside bot that acts as a virtual assistant. Now, a security uh, researcher on Twitter actually uh, warned the hotel. The, the, the hotel is actually owned by the HIS group, but it's the, indivi the individual hotel in question is the Henna Hotel Mayhemer, Tokyo Bay. Um, he actually um, warned them back in July, apparently, that the uh, bedroom ro robots were hackable. Um, he, according to the researcher, they had unsigned code, which meant that a user can tap an NFC tag to the back of the robot's head and allow access via whatever streaming app they choose. Um, by exploiting this vulnerability, anyone with access to a hotel room can then use the robot cameras and microphones to spy on guests. I guess it would be um, future guests that come into the room. Um, the researcher publicly, publicly announced the hack on October 31st after allegedly receiving no response from the hotel group. Um, there was a Japanese newspaper, the Tokyo Reporter, said that HIS Group has since apologised for ignoring warnings that the in-room robots posed a massive privacy and security risk. Uh, according to that newspaper, the company had decided that the chance of uh, hackers gaining unauthorised access to the bots was, was too low to merit any action. Uh, the robots have now been updated and are no longer vulnerable. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one, uh, Dan, kind of, kind of humorous in, in one regard, but Slightly concerning in another. I mean, a concerning that it, it, it's possible to happen anyway. But you know, mm -hmm. I guess that's 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 by the by. But the fact that they were warned about it and didn't deem didn't deem the security issue important enough to do something about um, quite concerning. It's like a throwback to that hacker one story again, isn't it? And um, another one where where people weren't really maybe taking consideration of the uh, of the, the warnings. Um, well, speaking of, of another thing, sort of yeah, maybe sort of slightly light hearted, but also a little bit of a concern. It's, uh, it came from Samsung. 
They say they're working on a patch for a bug in their Galaxy S10 phone, um, whereby any anyone anyone's thumb could be used to access the phone. Now, I'm sure most of you have used uh, fingerprint scanners for your phone or certainly been aware of them. And um, if you add a certain screen protector to the Galaxy S10, then you any phone uh, any person's thumb could actually be used to open the phone. Now, um, this obviously was quite widely reported, um, but since that, we've actually seen that NatWest and Nationwide have withdrawn support for fingerprint authentication on that phone because of these reports. And because uh, it, it, you know, you could. I think the story was one person used it and then got her husband to use it as well, and they were both able to access the same phone, which does kind of override the, the security of it. Um, we had a, a quick comment from Jake Moore at ESET. He called the. Um, the, the uh, news of a patch, an excellent response to the floor, um, and also sort of praise the uh, the banks actually for sort of saying they must look after their customers where they can and be aware of the most current threats to show that they are on point. Uh, one thing we do believe is that the patch will actually be rolled out first to people in um, sort of Samsung's native South Korea. So maybe something they do need to roll out pretty quickly because uh, now this has been published so widely, we uh, we probably should actually know about this. Mm, another interesting one. Uh, do, do you squeeze in one more Why down not? for our Slack space while we're at it? And, uh, and that was the um, research that came from uh, McAfee uh, just this week. And they always do some, some fun stuff over there. And they actually listed the uh, most dangerous celebrities to search for online. I guess associated with that is malicious links, malicious sites that could be associated with, with the um, celebrity you're searching for. And actually came out on, on, on top was the actress Alexis Bledel, um, known for... Um, Handmaid's Tale and uh, what else have you been in? Uh, Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls, yeah. Thank you, Google. Yeah, I, I, I'd never heard of her until I, this came out. So, um, I don't know, congratulations are in store. Um, the rest of the ten, actually, there's quite a lot of women in this, actually, which um, maybe is not I don't know if that's good or bad, actually. We are looking for more sort of uh, rising of, of women in, in, in the world, in rights, but maybe this isn't the way to do it. Uh, number two is James Corden, of course, best known in the UK for things like Gavin and Stacey, now uh, a chat show host in the US. Um, Sophie Turner, ever heard of her? Game of Thrones. Thank you. Again, she, <laughs> interesting, because obviously James Corden and, and Sophie Turner are obviously uh, British, yeah. and it looks like the, re the remainder are kind of quite American-based to me, but obviously James Corden and Sophie Turner are huge in the States, so maybe maybe that's had an impact there. Yeah, a few people that you would know from film series, Anna Kendrick from... Um, uh, Pitch Perfect, Lapita Nyong'o from um, the Black Panther and the Marvel films, and then a few others down there. Jackie Chan coming, number seven, and Lil Wayne, number eight. Um, and then down at the bottom, number 10, Tessa Thompson, also again from the uh, Marvel films and also from uh, Westworld. So, yeah, the McAfee do this every year, and um, it, it may be interesting to look back over 10 years, actually. Maybe one will follow up on Info Security mm -hmm. to see how these things have changed in terms of how they're being found. So, we'll uh, mm -hmm. maybe want to look out for the future. Absolutely. Okay, we've got a couple of minutes left of this episode, so we'll take a quick look at some of the things that we're working on and some of the things coming up. So we're actually hard at work right now, actually, on our Q4 print issue. So that's the last print issue of the year. Uh, got some really great features in, in that one. We're looking at the uh, the role of kind of stress, anxiety and burnout for CISOs and security leaders, which kind of seems a really popular topic at the moment, you know, dealing with stresses of the job. Um, we also take a quick look at what's going on at the dark web now, you know, yeah, a lot of fear around the, the dark web. Um, what exactly is going on there now, you know, and is it is it all bad, you know, do, do we fear the dark web uh, too much? And um, Dan, what are you working on for the, for the Q4? Well, um, I've done actually think more about bug bounties. There's actually, we do our top 10 every month in the, sort of every issue in the... Um, 
in the prediction this year, I'm seeing the top 10 bug bounty payments. It's quite interesting to see how that's risen over time. You remember from a, a previous episode, we talked about Apple's $1 billion bug bounty that they're, um, sorry, million dollar, not billion, they're not that good, <laughs> not, are they? Not, not yet. <laughs> not yet, no, we'll see how watch this space. Uh, million dollar bug bounty. So we're doing that. And um, personally, I'm doing an article, which I'm just finishing up, actually. Um, there's been some calls to review the Computer Misuse Act. Um, which uh, we've been looking at. And also there's been a bit, a bit of an opposition to some of the proposals being made. So, yeah, look out for that in Q4, which I guess will be coming out around the time of our next podcast, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the thing is, we are now just a few weeks away from Info Security North America uh, conference, which is over in, um, in New York, in the States. Uh, it's held at the Javits Center. That's actually taking place on the 20th and 21st of November. Um, Info Security will be there. Uh, we'll be doing filming and we'll be covering the event and uh, bringing you all the uh, content and insight from that event. So do make sure you keep an eye out in a few weeks' time for our content coming from Info Security uh, North America. And also, just to remind you, we did the, um, as we speak, about a month ago, we did the online summit. This was the second one of the year. Uh, all content from that is available to listen again. We did quite a lot of stuff around diversity, uh, AI, zero trust, um, uh, I did diversity, didn't I? I mentioned that compliance uh, and a couple of how to sessions, some interviews there with Gerhard Eschelbeck and also with our sponsors who were. Um, I just remember it was it was Evident ID and there was a few more as well. HID <laughs> was with us at Calvio. Yeah, we yeah. had uh, yeah several really great sponsors. So all that content's available to listen again. And also, we've done uh, we've got a few more webinars coming up for the end of the year, so do look out for those. Um, we're obviously going to mention 19th of December, um, so we'll do one more podcast before then. Um, 19th of December, we'll be doing our um, Christmas wrap-up, which we've done the last couple of years, where we'll be looking at sort of trends from the year. So it's always usually quite a good way to wrap the year up. So um, And also, just to go in, in for Christmas, we've got a lot of content we've been sort of lining up at the moment, so it's sort of a lot of stuff coming up on Info Security for you to get involved with yeah absolutely well that brings us to uh, an end for this episode so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again soon welcome to into security info security magazine's podcast